besides that you have tensions to buy you, you, you have been blockaded also to buy food or medicine or uh, they, none of the vaccines that you most of the people around the world enjoyed uh, did not arrive to Venezuela you're listening to reparations in action here on black power 96.3 My name is Brendan McCoy, and I am the host today for White Lies Shattered, a series of the podcast Reparations in Action, produced by the African People's Solidarity Committee, the organization of white people working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, led by Chairman Omali Yeshitela, and organizing for reparations to African people. Reparations in Action is honored to be broadcast on Black Power 96.3 FM, whose studios are in the Uhuru House in St. Petersburg, Florida. Black Power 96 Radio works not just to explain the world, but to change it. You can get the app for Black Power 96 on Google Play or the Apple App Store and listen wherever you are located. Reparations in Action stands in solidarity with the right of all oppressed and colonized people to gain their independence and exercise self-determination, including the Palestinian people and African indigenous people inside the borders of the U.S. and around the world. We believe reparations to African people is one of the most important questions of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. We salute Chairman Omali Ishitela and the African People's Socialist Party for leading the African revolution and developing the theory of African internationalism. The theory and worldview of the African working class that guides the African revolution and which we credit for all of the understandings and analysis provided on this podcast. Today, we're talking with the editor of the Orinoco Tribune, Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa, about the release of political prisoner Alex Saab and the anti-colonial struggle in Venezuela. Jesus and the Orinoco Tribune are part of the Hands Off Uhuru Fight Back Coalition. Also with me today is Penny Hess, chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee. Uhuru, uh, Uhuru. Comrades Penny and Jesus. Uhuru. Thank you, Brendan. And just want to say what an honor. It is just so exciting to have you with us today, Jesus. Thank you so much for coming on. It is my honor. You know, we want to talk about the very historic and incredibly important release of Alex Saab, the diplomat from Venezuela, who... Uh, in the U.S. in violation of international law and violation of the standard uh, diplomatic immunity of of the diplomatic corps of any country um, that the U.S. violated that, um, held him in detention in Cape Verde for 16 months and then two years in prison here in the United States. And this has been a worldwide campaign, um, something that just pressure came from all over the world to free him. So we're very, very excited about that. I also just want to say before we start that we um, we welcome Jesus being here. We salute the people of Venezuela and your president, President Nicolas Maduro, and just, you know, the legacy of former President Hugo Chavez, and just the um, magnificent society and um, system built in the beautiful country of Venezuela um, that is in the interest of the poor and working class instead of, you know, and fights off U- U.S. attacks 
every single day, which is a front trying to attack on on every front. And there's a really important relationship because, as um, Brendan said, the Orinoco Tribune and Comrade de Jesus are members of the Hands Off Uhuru Fight Back Coalition, which was formed to push back these states' attacks um, that has indicted Chairman O'Malley Shatella, Comrade Jesse Neville, and myself as the Uhuru Three were facing um, 15 years in prison on these completely bogus charges that are another front of the U.S. attacking the African liberation movement, uh, a continuation of what this government did with the COINTELPRO and the assassinations in the 1960s. So this is, this is very important. It's very important to us um, as well. And that, again, you know, we're very, very excited to have you here. So I just wanted to ask you, Jesus, if you could just start out saying a few things about yourself and about this Orinoco Tribune and this media outlet that I believe that you are one of the founders of. So welcome. Yes. Ben. No, thank you. Thank you, Compass and, and Uhuru to all of you. And 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 we are standing in solidarity with the uh, Free the Uhuru Tree campaign. We recognize the leadership of uh, Chairman Jessitella in uh, advancing the 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 cause of socialism, of reparations, of anti-colonialism uh, in the U.S. I believe that part of the whole uh, Uhuru Tree uh, issue. Is connected to that solidarity that Chairman Jessitella has shown over the years, not only with Venezuela, but with other countries. And that's part of the intimidation campaigns that, that the FBI run from time to time, just to try to dislock or, you know, disrupt you know, solidarity movements in the U.S., uh, you know, internationalists in the U.S. So we have to be in solidarity with you. That's why I always say yes to whatever invitation you you send to me because uh, I really feel that it's necessary, that solidarity. Uh, and I'm just uh, a regular Venezuelan guy that happened to uh, uh, to to be Venezuelan consul general in Chicago for several years. Oh. I live in Chicago from 2005 until 2017, so I was there like for 12 oh. years. Yes, that's more than the I usual. Uh, yeah. And I consider Chicago uh, my home also. I, I, I kind of miss uh, uh, Chicago a lot because living in a place for, you know, that long time uh, make you, you know, somehow feel it like home. But that gave me also a very important insight about how the U.S. Uh, society works. Uh, before that, I I was I'm an I'm an experienced national relations, but most of my life I was connected. I've been connected to communication, to alternative media, independent media, and before being appointed uh, to to Chicago, I worked with a progressive at that time. Uh, outlet website called aporrea.org and that right now is not very progressive that it was co-opted by a lot of by, by, by a lot of trotskists 
that are out there. Then when I came back from Chicago to Venezuela, a few months after I came back, I decided that I needed to do something to keep, you know, doing the things that I love, which is defending Chavismo, defending the Bolivarian Revolution, defending Venezuela from imperialism. So I launched uh, this project called Orinoco Tribune that initially was aiming at translating, and we keep doing that a lot. Uh, translated pieces, uh, news and opinion pieces uh, that are out there in Spanish, but that a lot of people do not read outside Venezuela or Latin America because of the language issue, you know, the translation issue. So so we wanted to, you know, serve like as a bridge with information that is usually not translated from Spanish to English. And, and, and in that way, the, that information keep like in the shadow for many uh, English speakers, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. So that was the initial issue. It has been uh, evolving. We have been creating our own content in recent uh, years. Uh, uh, so we have a mix of uh, translation pieces, uh, original pieces. We are creating also multimedia uh, content. Uh, we are um, we reprint important uh, pieces that we found out there. Uh, we are translating recently from Arabic because of the crisis in in Gaza uh, and the you know Zionist. Uh, genocide uh, against the Palestinians there. Uh, so 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 that's basically what we are doing. We you can find us in orinocotribune.com uh, and uh, we will love if you help us spread the word about the work that we do that because we do it with love. We do it with uh, response that we try to be responsible in the information that we put there, try to be objective uh, uh, or at least serious. Uh, uh, because we we can, we don't deny that we are somehow biased. We are anti-imperialists. We are terrorists. <laughs> but we also try to be objective. Try not to put lies there or uh, distort reality. So so that's basically what we do, and we have been doing it already for five years. So so we are we cannot longer be considered like a new outlet because I believe that after five years. Uh, you 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 already have uh, some sort of presence there, yeah. And 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 I believe that presence has been rewarded with a uh, a lot of you know readership and followers. So we are happy with that. Splendid, splendid. So it's well, I've learned some new things about you. Let me ask you about this whole case of Alex Saab. Um, first of all, talk to us about who he is and his role and his work in Venezuela and go into the whole case and what was happening. Yes, we have followed very closely and all the developments since Alex Saab was illegally kidnapped in Cape Verde uh, a few years ago, three and a half years ago, actually. Basically, Alex Saab is a businessman. A Venezuelan Colombian businessman. He was born in, in Colombia, but he also, like many Colombians and Venezuelans, have dual citizenship because we have a, a humongous colony of Colombians living in Venezuela. We talk about five or nine, five me five or six million Colombians living in Venezuela. And mm. Colombians talk, especially in recent years, about like four million Venezuelans living in Colombia. So it's like uh, uh a mixed community, and uh, some, some people might don't know this, but uh, 
Simón Bolívar, which is the Venezuelan independence hero, liberated uh, this region, not only Venezuela, but Colombia and Bolivia, Ecuador, Peru, and Panama uh, from the Spanish. And, and, and he, after that, he created this uh, only, uh, you know, country that, united country that he called Gran Colombia. So, so we have a shared history. Alex Abbey is the result of that, you know, sharing that connection. So, so he is a businessman mostly, but he, that worked closely with President Chavez initially and then with President Maduro. When the sanctions began to hit hard Venezuela, President Maduro, and he is from, I have to say that, that Saab is from Lebanese Palestinian roots. Uh, oh. I believe that it's important to, to say that President Maduro decided that he uh, would be a, a, a good option to try to bypass uh, those sanctions launched by the U.S. and the U and the European satellites against the country. I'm talking about uh, especially hard since 2017-2018. Those sanctions hit Venezuelan economy extremely hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the sanctions of the U.S. the most important one was against PDVSA, which is the Venezuelan state-owned uh, oil company. And and basically, they forbid PDVSA to run any sort of operation internationally. And if you are an oil exporting, producing corporation like PDVSA is, uh, you need to do transactions uh, abroad. You need to have uh, uh, accounts abroad. You need to sign agreements abroad. And when the U.S. sanctioned PDVSA, and not only PDVSA, but anyone from any country doing business with PDVSA, uh, uh, you basically disrupt uh, the the flow of revenue that Venezuela had because the, 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 the economy of Venezuela relies mostly in oil. Venezuela, I believe that in 2018, uh, had a revenue of $55 billion or something like that. And, uh, and in 2019, it went down to... I believe that it was like $1 billion or something like that. So that can give you an idea of how dramatic the impact of the U.S. sanctions were on the Venezuelan economy. That affects education, that affects roads, that affects infrastructure, that affects water, that affects electricity, that affects everything. So um, uh, in that sense... uh, and of course, besides that, you have sanctions to buy. You, you, you have been blockaded also to buy food or medicines or uh, the, none of the vaccines that you, most of the people around the world enjoyed uh, did not arrive to Venezuela. I mean, uh, those corporate vaccines that were distributed all over the world uh, didn't arrive to Venezuela. We only received the, the, the Chinese vaccines, the Russian vaccines, the Cuban vaccines. Those were the ones that uh, we used in Venezuela to fight COVID. So uh, that's to give you an idea of how uh, inhuman uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, policy is towards most of the world, but in this case, I'm talking about Venezuela in particular because we were, we are still subjected to U.S. sanctions. Yes. So Alex's work was to try to uh, bypass those that blockade and get uh, medicine, food, and fuel from countries in the Middle East. 
And he did that. And, and actually, President Maduro recognized uh, in that in, in a speech uh, with uh, Alex Zav immediately after he arrived back to Venezuela in the, and, and he met President Maduro in the Miraflores Palace. Maduro uh, thanked uh, uh, Alex Zav for, for bringing the medicines and the fuel and the foods that he was uh, asked to bring to Venezuela. So, so that that's part of the work that that um, Alex Ava did, and I believe that he's going to keep doing it because um, actually President Maduro appointed him uh, after a few days after he arrived as special a member of the negotiation team in Barbados. I mean, in those negotiations uh, with the opposition that are sponsored by the by the, the the Kingdom of Norway. Uh, uh, so he's, he's, he and his wife is going to uh, are going to become part of the negotiation team. His wife was already there, and, and I have to recognize that Camila Fabri, his his wife, is the engine behind the uh, behind the Free Alex Saf movement. Okay. Uh, she she I believe that she did an amazing work trying to let um, people around the world about the cruelty of Saab's situation, the violation of uh, his mo most basic human rights, the violation of the basic principles of diplomacy because he was captured being a diplomat. And that's the terrible press. So I think that it would be, it would be really important also to let people know how he was how he was seized and captured by the US, what the US did, um, how long he was detained in a couple of different places. If you could talk a little bit about that, because that also exposed yes. just the viciousness of this attack. Absolutely. It is important to to try to clarify uh, that picture because some people got talk and do not know exactly what happened. First of all, uh, Alex Saf was, uh, had diplomatic immunity when he was captured. That's the first thing that have to be clarified. Yeah. A lot of right-wing media, mainstream media has been saying that he was not a diplomat and that's a big lie because even the governments of Iran and I believe that the government of Russia because he also was appointed a special envoy to Russia, uh, they, I mean, the Venezuelan government have proved that uh, those governments recognize him as a special diplomatic envoy of Venezuela. Mm -hmm. So that ga gave him diplomatic immunity. A few months after he was kidnapped in Cape Verde, President Maduro decided to appoint him as ambassador to the African Union. But that's a separate, you know, scene. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, uh, it, it happened later, and some people trying to uh, create uh, to distort reality try to try to say I mean they attempt to say that his diplomatic immunity came when he was appointed ambassador to the African Union and in reality and in diplomacy and according to the Geneva Convention, which is the uh, the, the Vienna Convention sorry. That is the, the one that uh, rule over diplomatic relations uh, clearly established that you don't have to be an ambassador to, to, to have diplomatic immunity. And he was already entitled with diplomatic immunity because he, he was 
uh, a, a special diplomat in Boy of Venezuela. So he was caught uh, in that capacity uh, on a trip to Iran. He was in a in a jet, a Venezuelan jet, a, a jet belonging to the Venezuelan government, traveling to Iran. And on his way to Iran, he 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 uh, the, the plane has scheduled to land and repose, uh, mm -hmm. refuel uh, in uh, in Algeria. For some reason, I believe that those things might be connected to CIA infiltration and things like that. He was denied. Uh, uh, the authorization to land in Algeria. Then he began to move through the African coast all the way down to the south, I mean, and he managed at the, after several attempts in other countries, he managed to get uh, authorization in Cap Verde for refueling the jet. A few minutes after he arrived, he was basically kidnapped. Wow. What happened? What happened then? Uh, the 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 Cape Verdean authorities and the U.S. government uh, say that he was uh, uh, wanted by the Interpol with a red uh, notice that was not a, that did not exist when he was captured. There was not red notice. The the red notice arrived one day later. Later. And even when it arrived, it arrived with the wrong name on it. Oh wow! Uh, uh, and but what what happened is that you know, Quebec is a very small island in the center south part of South Af of Africa. I mean, and they are subjected to U.S. imperialism harder than you know even us, which are like a middle side country. Those countries are usually infiltrated by U.S. diplomats, U.S. Uh, intelligence, and mostly the security, their security services. So what happened is that they kidnapped, kidnapped him and keep him under illegal detention for 16 months. He said that he was tortured, that he was kicked. He, they got some um, ribs broken on him. Uh, they make him... Uh, drink water uh, from the same canister where the, the, he uh, urinated. Mm -hmm. he, he has been giving us stories about uh, the nature of his uh, staying in Cape Verde. And it's nasty and it's sad that, that a country lent itself to things like that. Uh, but anyway, I mean, it's complex and and... And just a few a few days before elections happened in Cape Verde, and without following the legal procedures, the Cape Verdean authorities, knowing that they might lost uh, the elections, and maybe a more a little bit more progressive government arrived after those elections, they decided to kidnap uh, Alex Av for second time and take him to the U.S. He spent like almost. Uh, two years in the U.S. Uh, on the charge of uh, conspiracy for money laundering or something like that, which is the the same uh, uh, accusation that U.S. That, that, that the U.S. government used for anything that they don't like, and uh, and basically, um, they keep him there without showing any sort of proofs about uh, his crime. Uh, yes, to use it, in my opinion, has a bargain chip for 
what happened just a few days ago, you know, a, a prisoner stop. And, and I believe that was also important to say that even before uh, Alex Saf was transferred, kidnapped for the second time, as we say it here in Venezuela, and transferred to the U.S., the U.S. forced the Swiss authorities to open also an inquiry uh, on Alex Saf uh, crimes, between quotations. And I believe that it's important to remark that the, the Swiss um, general attorney quit that case because they didn't find enough evidence of, you know, Alex Saf crimes in Switzerland. No one talks about those things anymore, uh, but that is a reality. I mean, uh, there was no evidence of uh, Alex Saf doing wrong things. Uh, because usually the guys that really launder, launder money, uh, all of them live in the U.S. Everyone knows that. And right. they live happily there. But anyway, they use that uh, tool to try to get rid of people that they don't want or attack governments like the Venezuelan that they dislike. But uh, we managed to, to, to fight that. And thankfully, he is back home. So I don't know if that's part of the question, and maybe I'm missing something. Let me know no, if no, I'm no. missing something. No, I have. I wa wanted to ask you about this, the people that were released on the side of the U.S. and the criminals that they were. I just wanted to make a point that Cape Verde was the first plantation owned by Portugal, as as far as I know that, and that brought kidnapped Africans. To, to work there enslaved in the 1400s. So it has a long history of, you know, part of colonialism and imperialism. Colonial. And as we know, mm -hmm. Cape Verde also I didn't know that. It also had a very important um, liberation movement in the 1960s and 70s. Um, Cabral, as, Cabral is from there. Yes, that's right. The singer, yes. So, um, you know, it's just, it's a significant, small, but it's a significant place in history and just has its own symbolism that he would be kidnapped and um, and held there. Um, I know that the, um, that, that the U.S., that this exchange was involved 10 U.S. citizens held as criminals in prison already have gone to trial. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who was released and what that so-called exchange was about? Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't have all the information, uh, especially about the names. I believe that they try to keep it somehow secret because they don't name them all. Right. They just name a few. Uh, I'm talking about... Uh, press releases from the State Department or even from the Venezuelan government. So maybe that's something they decided not to make public exactly the names of everyone or at what least that, uh, that what happened in the first few days, maybe some information has this release uh, after that. But what I know is that what you say, they, they were 10 U.S. citizens. Two of them were mercenaries that participated in something that we call here Operation Gideon, 
uh, which was a mercenary incursion promoted by the U.S. from Colombia with like like 50 uh, mercenaries that arrived in rapid, uh, fast boats from Colombia to Venezuela with weapons, with uh, the, the regular mercenary, you know, uh, parafernalia, but they didn't know that Venezuelan intelligence already had uh, an eye on them. Basically, uh, the Venezuelan people were waiting for them. The mercenary attempt was defeated uh, almost immediately. A few of the people of the of the people that part, or the mercenaries managed to go to a place. They, they were targeting targeting Caracas, but when they noticed that something wrong was happening, some of them, like half of them decided to escape uh, to uh, some place near Caracas, which is at, uh, in Aragua State, and they were caught by militia people, Venezuelans, ordinary Venezuelans that belong to the Bafa, uh, fishermen uh, that, that, that live in a town in, in Aragua State called Suao. And it's nice to see those pictures of, of the gringos and the mercenary and the in the floor uh, with the fishermen around them. Uh, uh, and it was nice because it says a lot about the Venezuelan and the Bolivarian Revolution strength, which is what we call civic military union uh, and and militia, the, our militia, which consists of more than 4 million people. And that's a big deterrent to U.S. aggression is key in the defense of the revolution, in the defense of Venezuela. So those guys uh, managed to kidnap several, uh, most of those mercenaries were Venezuelans, former, uh, you know, uh, military people. Um, but among them were these two, two, Barry is the last name of one of them, and and I don't remember the, the, the name of the other one. But uh, anyway, they, they were immediately caught a few days after the first initial uh, attempt and uh, uh, and weeks later, they were already sentenced because they confessed. They confessed, and it was public. It was evident. They had videos saying that, that what they were going to do. They signed a contract with Juan Guaido. That's right. You know, I, I mean, I mean, that's weird. I mean, to have yeah, a, 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 a contract, an agreement signed for a mercenary incursion, they did it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, so it's funny what happened but uh those are the most notorious they they were green berets a couple of them yes absolutely green berets of the u.s absolutely absolutely those two ones and also uh uh, i believe that three more of them of the the 10 that were exchanged part of the exchange um were like former Military also that were caused with drones and cameras and a lot of cash and satellite phones near to Venezuelan refineries a few months after the Gideon operation, you know, fiasco. So, so uh, I would say that at least half of 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 the ten people that were exchanged uh, somehow were. Uh, Military people, people connected with U.S. intelligence yes. and that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, also, there was one uh, one of those ten uh, prisoners who was some uh, a U.S. contractor that mm-hmm. escaped uh, U.S. justice because he somehow had some sort of corruption deals with the U.S. Oh, military. Yes. 
Yes. And, and that, that's the only name that the State Department released. I don't remember his name, but uh, Venezuela caught him uh, uh, somehow uh, trying to evade justice a few years ago. And then Venezuela, you know, add him and the U.S. requested him uh, Venezuela to ex extradite. So it was not part of an exchange re in reality because that guy is going to be sent to U.S. prisons, you know, to to finally pay uh, his sentence there. So that's basically uh, the, 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 the things that I know about those who were... Uh, you know, part of the the swap, of, um, the prisoner swap operation that happened a few, uh, one week or two weeks ago, yeah, in Venezuela and the U.S. Yes, thank you for thank you for that, um, and it just shows the, uh, you know, it just exposes what what this government does and the um, the constant attempts to sabotage and undermine the the people's government of Venezuela and. I know that there are. Let me let me interrupt you a second. Go ahead. Because, uh, what, what you were saying reminds me of when I read the statement of the State Department, and they use this narrative of uh, unjustly detain U.S. Yeah. citizens, and and they basically portray them like 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 angels that the Venezuelan uh, uh, regime. Uh, 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 put in jail just because we want to put people in jail because we are we are evil or something like that. It's Completely, crazy. I mean, nothing of what you're saying has appeared in U.S. media at all. And so, yeah, I think that it's really, really important that you know that that we get this out of this is what the U.S. does, and it's an attacks on Venezuela over and over again. You talked about the sanctions and the impact that that had on every sector of the economy. And of course, on the people, just the people were starving, especially in those years that you were talking about of 2019 and um, you know, several years yes. ago, uh, people, just the food, there wasn't enough food. People, people were dying of starvation. That's true, that's true. And that's true. You know, just how they put the one, one Guaido in, um, who seems to, am I correct in saying that he has lost any kind of, of credibility inside of Venezuela? Because I know he has to live in the United States now. Um, but I know that the U.S. is constantly trying to send people there, create opposition movements, which are clearly exposed as uh, U.S.-backed, petty bourgeois, you know, anti-the-people and have not so far have not been successful. So could you say a little bit more about just these opposition, these sanctions, this US back attacks on Venezuela yes. people? Yes. Uh, first of all, I have to tell you like with complete frankness that Juan Guaido didn't have support ever. Yes. Mainstream US mainstream narrative that tried to portray him like like a polit political leader of some right. sort that he was not. No. Uh, uh, um, he, uh, they, they, of course, they try. And, and, and when, when, when our right wingers here in Venezuela see that support from the U.S. to these guys, of course, he might have some support of the, for the more most far right side of the Venezuelan opposition. 
But in reality, that guy, he was a deputy for Primero Justicia that win his seat in the parliament. I believe that with 30,000 votes or 50,000 votes, something like that. So, so that's his like, legitimacy. Yeah. Uh, uh, his most important participation in Venezuelan uh, pol- you know, politics was showing his back in front of a camera in the middle of a demonstration back in the 14th or something like that. When I'm talking about the back, I'm just trying to use an euphemism for the other part of the body that he showed on camera. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like a protest against the Venezuelan dictatorship, whatever. Uh, so that's the most important act that he uh, have uh, in yeah. terms of you know politics in Venezuela before uh, being appointed, uh, uh, you know, congressman, and after being uh, appointed himself press interim president of Venezuela in one of the craziest, I mean, the U.S. does a lot of crazy stuff uh, around the world, but I believe that the, the Guaido experiment was one of the wi- weirdest I, and yes. craziest operations ever. And I'm totally so unsuccessful, as you said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and but, but it's, I mean, they jumped the constitution they 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 broke any and disregarding all the illegalities that happen around the appointment of Juan Guaido the his self appointment as interim president of Venezuela the the Venezuelan government the Venezuelan dictatorship did allow him to run that uh, uh, lie in a very smart move, if you ask me, some Venezuelans, including me, so at some point got desperate because we won that guy uh, in prison. Mm-hmm. But I believe that the strategy of the Venezuelan government was very wise because, I mean, basically the Venezuelan government decided to let him uh, wrote himself. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and right now he is in the U.S. Uh, he's yeah. teaching. I don't know what, because that guy is really not intelligent at all. Right. I mean, I'm I'm trying to be very frank here. Uh, it's hard to understand him speaking Spanish, even for us Venezuelans that speak Spanish very fast. So it's hard to understand him. That's why when you hear, when you see some videos of Guaido, even in Spanish, a lot of people, supporters of him, added subtitles. To, to every video that because no one understood what he said the guy doesn't speak clearly he's not he have nothing and he's teaching now i don't know why i i know why i don't know why you know why he, he, <laughs> might, he, he might teach uh, but anyway he's doing it uh and and recently a few days ago uh we published something that caught my attention that might uh imply that he already is you know, jumping in this great uh, in U.S. size uh, that some people next to close to him uh, are being uh, interviewed by the FBI. Hmm. I believe that there is some sort of investigation about the use of the money that they rob from us, the, the, the normal Venezuelans, and they give to him and and they used to do whatever 
corruption and embezzlement that you could imagine. So yeah. I believe that he's about eventually to, you know, to go to Yale, if you ask me. I hope so. Uh, of course, it's not the, the well, best. I, I believe that he should pay Yale here in Venezuela. But anyway, I yeah. mean, it's good if they put him behind bars. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they let them get away with anything. But then when they're done with them, when the U.S. is done with their little puppets, sometimes they'll they totally get rid of them. Absolutely. And that's absolutely. This is not the first point. time so, things like this happen. Yes, exactly. If you're well, a US, pu U.S. puppet, you are going to end up bad <laughs> one way or the other. I know. This is, I mean, we're almost to the end of our time. This has been really amazing. But I would like to ask you, as our last question, uh, Comrade Jesus, about the uh, something that is in the news that the U.S. is putting out right now uh, about the issue of land, I believe, bordering on Guyana. And uh, we would definitely would like to hear your position, your analysis, the analysis of Venezuela about the situation. Yes, I believe that is, that's an important issue because some of our friends in the U.S. Uh, has been, I believe, uh, a cough in their good intentions uh, or uh, I, I, what I call automatic solidarities, and they try to believe the narrative that the U.S. mainstream media is trying to sell about what happened around the Esequibo territory dispute, the, the U.S. media uh, narrative, uh, but also the Guyanese narrative. Uh, and, and it's important to say that uh, Venezuelans have seen Guyana, the Esequibo Guyana, the Esequibo territory as part of its territory since colony times, even before uh, the colony. And when we uh, got our independence in 1810, uh, the, it, when you see the maps of Venezuela, you will see that that territory belongs to, to Venezuela. We have the deeds of that territory. What happened is that the British, as they usually do, got control over uh, Guyana, which was just a fraction of what uh, current Guyana is. Uh, and they began to to rob, to occupy uh, the ter that territory, the Venezuela dispute today, which we call uh, Esequibo territory. 1899, there was this arbitral award. After years of Venezuelan claims to try to make the British stop occupying more territory because they wanted to get, to have control uh, over the Orinoco Delta area, you know, that, that that's a very strategic area of Venezuela because the Orinoco River is the biggest river in Venezuela. Uh, it's one of the most important rivers in the world, I believe. And the Delta of Orinoco is a very strategic area because it gives access to uh, the Caribbean, but also to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, sorry, to the Atlantic Ocean, and 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 uh, and the British wanted to occupy that. So after years, pressure Venezuela managed to uh, force an arbitrary award to be set uh, in in the U.S. I believe that it happened, and uh, but because of the typical racist supremacist nature of people in the north, 
we're talking about uh, the U.S. and the U.K., Venezuela wa was not allowed to have, I mean, basically what they, uh, this arbitral tribunal uh, consisted in two representatives from the U.K., two judges from the U.K., one uh, president of the tribunal, and two judges from the U.S. that because we were... Uh, how would you say it? Uh, inferior, uh, the U.S. Uh, represent the interest of Venezuela in that tribunal, represent between quotations. Uh, so what happened in that tribunal is that they decided to stop a little bit uh, the penetration of U.K. Uh, invade invaders into the Delta area, but from the other side, they gave the whole Esequibo territory to uh, the British because Guyana did not exist then. I'm talking about 1899. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Venezuela recognized that because, I mean, we believe that uh, the whole process happened uh, following uh the regular standard procedures but in 1949 one of the members of that uh, arbitral tribunal died and he, in his will he left a letter that is known as the male prevost uh, memorandum uh, and where he basically uh, explained the whole fabrication of the tribunal and explain how the us and the uk agree what they agreed there uh, just to satisfy their own uh, imperialist strategic uh, interests. Mm. And after that, I'm telling you, in, in the 1899 award that Venezuela recognized what happened, and basically Venezuela saw that we lost that territory, but after the Maleprevost Memorandum, Venezuela began uh, to push for uh, all internationally for uh, the 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 Paris uh, 1899 award as void and nul because of all these things that Malepre was uh, narrated in his wrote in his letter. So so uh, in that somehow led that in 1966, just a few months before uh, Guyana was granted its independence, mm -hmm. Venezuela, the UK, and Guyana within the auspices of the United Nations uh, signed the uh, Geneva Agreement of 1966, which basically recognized that there is a still a territorial dispute and, and, and that Guyana and Venezuela needed to settle that dispute uh, peacefully following the, the peaceful resolution uh, mechanism contemplated by the UN Charter and what happened is that the Guyana basically after that even though uh, Guyana signed that agreement uh, the Guyanese governments just tried to postpone the resolution of uh, of that uh, of that problem and in 2015 uh, Exxon began to explore for oil in, in Guyana, and they found a humongous uh, um, oil uh, 
places, I don't know how to say, yacimientos, we say in Spanish, I, don't, I forgot the word in English for that, but, but they found oil, find oil in, 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 in many areas in Guyana, especially offshore, and 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 that's where, where everything starts to get mess. Yeah. Because, I mean, the Geneva Agreement in 1966 established that everything need to be done, uh, needed to be done by mutual agreement. Mm -hmm. But in 2016, a few months after the oil was found in Guyana, and they, uh, the Guyanese government asked uh, the UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon to send the case to the International Court of Justice. An international court that Venezuela do not recognize, and that decision was not following the Geneva Agreement, which says that everything needs to be done by mutual agreement. So it was a, 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 a break in the Geneva Agreement that they, they, you know, you don't hear too many Guyanese and mainstream U.S. mainstream media talking about that. Yeah. But that agreement exists uh, and is still valid. And uh, anyway, I mean, uh, many people. Uh, that that forced Venezuela to. I mean, I'm talking about that decision. In a few months, I mean, at the beginning of the year, this year, Guyana began to give concessions to transnational corporations to exploit oil in many of those areas, and some concessions were given in areas that are not even part of the dispute. That are areas that waters that should belong to Venezuela under international water, you know. So any country, any country, this is not like Maduro one day wake up and wanted to create a mess around, you yeah. know, the Esequibo uh, territory. It's not like that because that's what, when you read the mainstream media, that's what they make you think. Uh, right. But in reality is that we have been threatened because they are given the Guyanese uh, country uh, uh, is giving concessions over areas that are disputed and even over areas that are undisputed that should belong to Venezuela. So that's why the Venezuelan parliament a few months ago decided to call for a referendum. And that's when the, 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 the media start to pay attention uh, to what happened in Venezuela because that referendum basically is calling... Uh, the, the refer it was a consultative referendum with five questions to Venezuelans. And the question was, do you uh, recognize the validity of the uh, 1966 Geneva Agreement? Uh, that's the first question. The other question was, do you the recognize people. that? Uh, that you, exactly. I mean, we, uh, we talk yeah. that they, they say that we are the dictatorship, but we are basically asking the Venezuelans what uh, the, the state should do about this particular crisis. Well, yeah. one of the questions was, uh, if we recognize the jurisdiction, if, if you if we support the not recognition of the jurisdiction of the International Court of Justice, the other question uh, was if we uh, uh, oppose the granting, the Guyanese granting of concessions over territorial waters that should belong to Venezuela. The other question was uh, if we uh, rejected the 1899 Paris uh, Award. And the last question was if we uh, uh, support the decision of making the Esequibo territory a new state. 
mm. among, I mean, uh, we, um, in Venezuela. It's some sort of incorporation of the Guyana uh, Esequiba as a state. But uh, uh, many people translated that like if we were about to annex that territory. And the way I say it is that basically what we are doing is uh, a symbolic incorporation of that territory to exercise sovereignty and to put pressure in the only way Venezuela loves to do, which is peacefully, uh, towards that particular problem that is a problem for us. It's a territorial problem. It's, it's, it's a sovereignty issue that any country has to uh, defend. So mm -hmm. uh, that's what happened after that referendum, which was voted, which had a turnout of over 51% of the population, mm -hmm. which is important, I believe. Yes. Uh, uh, but also overwhelmingly approved by the, those who participated. I mean, 97.1% in average was the yes respond to the, those questions. I mean, 97.1% of about 12 million Venezuelans went to vote that day and they say that the Venezuelan questions, the Venezuelan proposals, uh, they they supported uh, those the, questions. The yeah. So so that gave President Maduro an important victory. Yes. Uh, and also international internationally they put uh, uh, somehow Guyana in alarm in alert, and that's why a few days later uh, there was this meeting that happened on December this month uh, on, on December 14th, I believe if I'm not wrong. They they had this meeting. There was this meeting between President Maduro and President Irfan Ali from Guyana in San Vicente and the Grenadines, uh, and they agreed to to slow down the controversy, to take it easy, to avoid escalations, uh, any provo provocative move that was written in that declaration that is called the Argyle Declaration. And uh, you know, the, the, basically the, the joint statement that, that was written after the meeting between Maduro and Ali in San Vincent. And what happened a few days ago is that, is that the UK began to mess around and, and, and with, the, with the help of the Guyanese pro-imperialist puppets there, they uh, invited a US uh, sorry, a UK ship, yeah. a military vessel to do exercise yeah. in Venezuela, uh, and Venezuelan announced a deployment of uh, military uh, near the border with Guyana because we are not going to let the the, the British intimidate us. We are, we are not afraid of the British, uh, and we cannot al allow that Guyana, with the help of the, his friends, because. They believe that I put friends between quotations because UK, US imperialist powers are not friends of anyone. They are just friends of money and the interests of their corporations. Uh, but there are stupid people everywhere, and, and, and Guyana is not an exception. And those ones ruling Guyana uh, are that kind of people, and they believe that they are friends with the UK and the US, and that's the problem. But uh, the most complicated part is that they are breaking something that was agreed a few days ago, which was not to escalate. And, and Guyana, with the help of the UK government, is escalating into the issue, and that's 
sets a lot about who is who in yeah. this dispute, you know. I respect the, the rights of the of the, of the Guyanese people, also the claims uh, for that, the, that territory. I respect also, of course, the rights of Venezuelans. That, that most of us believe that that territory belongs to us. Uh, it's a historic dispute created by colonialism again, yeah. and I believe that it should be uh, uh, solved uh, by some sort of agreement that recognizes that Guyana has been exercising control over that territory, which is the reality. I mean that that territory is controlled by Guyana. Uh, but it's a control that is disputed, uh, not, not unilaterally by Venezuela, but under, you know, already recognized international agreements. So, so it's important to highlight that. And it's important to highlight that the 1966 Geneva Agreement is an important part of this puzzle. And that part has been, and the, the Guyanese people and the U.S. government and the U.K. government has been trying to wipe or to erase, yes, because it's not convenient for them to talk about the 1966 Geneva Agreement. So that's basically nothing like what is being put out in the U.S. media. Um, but I, I think just the spirit of of the anti-colonial struggle and the you know the willingness to to have unity with other other countries, even even those who are functioning as neo-colonial countries and i yes I, yes it's important to do that and and i think that uh in any case uh that is very helpful and i really appreciate you laying that out for us today and my pleasure. i i just really want to thank you so much for for speaking with us today it's been an honor to have you jesus rodriguez espinosa it has been my honor always Yes, and you are the editor of the Orinoco Tribune and a member of the Hands Off Uhuru Fight Back Coalition. You are just a dear comrade and really want to, again, you know, salute the people of Venezuela, President Maduro, and and you for uh, just everything that you have contributed. This has been powerful. Thank you so much for coming on, and I hope that we can do this again very soon. This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. We'd like to thank our team of volunteers. Our sound engineer is Aaron Loss, who also composes our theme music. Our research coordinator is Alex Pletcher. Reparations in Action is produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson, out of the Black Power 96 studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Burning Spear media director Akile Anayi and the station that is not just explaining the world, but changing it, WBPULP St. Petersburg, also known as Black Power 96, and the station manager, Mr. Eddie Maltzby. If you like what you've heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or if you'd like to join our volunteer team, please email us at ria at blackpower96.org. That's ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to Chairman Omalia Shatella and the African People's Socialist Party, without whose relentless leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible.